0: Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Mouse and More podcast. I am Tony, and tonight I am joined by Rachel Adam and our special guest, Kelly Bailey. How's it going, everyone?
1: Hey.
2: Hey, Tony.
0: Howdy. Uh, you all may remember Kelly. She's been on two previous shows. Kelly, why don't you give us a, a little synopsis uh, what you do, why you're with us tonight, what your area of expertise is.
1: Well, I am a recent graduate of Savannah College of Art and Design's uh, themed entertainment design master's program, their MFA, and basically obsessed with our subject tonight. I hope in the best possible way, but you never know. Um, I don't want to be the, the creepy one, but I've. Uh... Oh, oh, the
0: creepy one is a role usually reserved for me. So if somebody else wants to take it, I'm fine with that. Uh, as as Kelly mentioned, we do have a special topic tonight, and we are going to talk about the career of Imagineer Joe Roddy. He recently retired from Imagineering after 40 years, so it's been a long career. He's had his uh, his fingers in a lot of projects that, uh, that we're all aware of, some we're not aware of, and we thought we would give a brief retrospective of his career tonight and how it impacted us.
3: His finger and his ear in a lot of projects.
0: Ah, yes, yes, his famous earlobe. Uh, trivia question left or right ear
1: are you asking us
0: uh, yeah i think it's the
1: left left i think it's the it's left, left.
0: It, it, it is indeed the left so i at this point i'm going to hand things over to adam uh because he's the guy who did all the research tonight and uh he's gonna he's gonna lead us the rest of the way take it away young man
3: all right so joe Roddy was born in sacramento california but uh, he was raised in hawaii and even though he's not he's not like a native hawaiian but he is like For all intents and purposes, I think like a native Hawaiian because he lived there. And and that's going to be important as we get along in the the story of his career. He graduated uh, from Chaminade College Preparatory High School in California in 1973. So you can do the math on how old you think he is. uh, Where he uh, was a student dramatic productions and his class salutatorian. He went, got his bachelor's degree in fine arts from Occidental College in Los Angeles, which is the same college President Barack Obama went to. He did not start at Imagineering right away. At Tony, you have a little bit of insight as to what he did first?
0: That's right. He was actually teaching set design at a high school in the San Fernando Valley. And one of his students, uh, his father was an executive with Imagineering and basically recruited Joe Rody at that point, uh, which was right around 1981. And uh, he began working as part of the Epcot design team, and he worked on the pyramid for Mexico, making scale models of the pyramid. And Adam, I'm going to hand it back to you. So
3: after he was working on Mexico Pavilion, he was a model designer for the Imagination Pavilion Pyramids, those glass pyramids that are still there today. He worked on the new Fantasyland renovation at Disneyland, which is when they converted the old tent style facades to the European village style. Uh, he worked on Captain EO as a character developer. He worked back into Epcot on the Norway Pavilion. And I'm pretty sure I heard this somewhere. He designed the boats that are used on the ride. And there's the same boats that they use today. So you could still ride a Joe uh boat in Epcot. One of his, I guess, bigger projects that he was more involved with was the adventurers club at downtown disney at walt disney world he also worked on some stuff in paris as doing initial science for their version of downtown disney it's called disney village and then we get into his big big project lead imagineer chief designer at the animal kingdom which is where I want to ask the question, when did we first become aware of who Joe Rody was? Because it's probably has something to do with this, but I don't want to give it away. Kelly, when did you first become aware of who Joe Rody was?
1: It was in 96. They had just, uh, in 95, announced that Animal Kingdom was going to be a thing. And Joe was on some of these shows that were popping up. This was the you know the height of... I, w- I want to say, like my understanding of what Disney might could be, where because before I was just kind of a consumer, right? '96, um, I just graduated high school and kind of was like, oh, people actually work there. That's that sounds ridiculous, but you know, I, anyone who knew me in high school, I was I was uh, not the sharpest tool in the in the shed, so to speak. So when I saw this guy, I was like, oh my gosh, he looks really weird. And this was before like the huge earring. This was, you know, there was an earring and he kind of had long wild hair and like the crazy mustache and stuff. And I'm like, that guy looks weird. He works for Disney. What does he do? And it was one of those like, I I got to figure out what this guy does because I want to be part of that situation. So that's me. Rachel, what about you? When did you first become aware of Joe Rohde?
2: Well, um, as you guys know, I didn't go to Disney until the first time until like 2001, and even when I did, we didn't go to Animal Kingdom when I went. Then I got in I wanted to go back and waited many years, but I would watch the travel channel to plan my trips. And they used to have all these shows, and I, there's a Baxter guy, right? Tony Baxter? Is that his name?:
0: It yeah. is. It is yeah. Tony Baxter.
2: Okay, so they would always feature him when they would talk about Magic Kingdom, but then they would get to Animal Kingdom and they would focus on Joe Rody And Joe always went into these big details. And I love details, as you probably know. And I just remember listening and being fascinated with this guy, fascinated with his accent, the way he talked, what he talked about, the way he looked. And he was always on every show. And, you know, they they would even do some just on hotels and he would come on to talk about animal kingdom and a lodge. And I just remember being fascinated with this person. And that's where I remember becoming aware of him.
0: Yeah. You know, I, I had a, a similar introduction to Joe Rody like, uh, like Rachel did. And, and a lot of that came from the travel channel, the discovery channel. Uh, anytime there was a Disney related show on you know and my TiVo was fired up I was recording it I was watching it and she's right you know everything the faces of Imagineering in in the early 2000s were Tony Baxter and Joe rody and you know Tony Baxter every every show you learned about how he started scooping ice cream in the Magic Kingdom and then you know he he eventually became an Imagineer I'm sorry in, in Disneyland and then Joe Rody was just kind of this wild guy and every time I would see him I would think of Doctor Emmett Brown from from Back to the Future, just kind of this wild, untamed, you know, free spirit. And uh, you know, over time the 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 ear earlobe got bigger, the earrings became larger. Um, but uh, you know, he was on every special, and and I I think that up until about a year ago he was the face of Imagineering. You know, I I joke now and say that Zach Ridley. Is the new, you know, Instagram face of Imagineering? Uh, you know, that's what that's the that's the role Joe Roddy held for, you know, maybe 20 years, because uh, he rose to prominence with the with the Animal Kingdom project, and uh, you know was really on the forefront of the world of the press. You know, the the early 2000s, late 90s. Uh, was when you couldn't go two or three days without there being a show or a special on on some cable network about some aspect of Disney, and and Joe Rohde just always seemed to be on it. And how, how about you, Adam? Because I, I know that you're you know you're a little younger than all of us, and I think in 2000 you you were just learning how to ride a two wheeler.
3: That's true. A Little background. My first and I've said this on the show. My first trip was the winter of 2000. And we were not a Disney family. We did not have the Disney Channel. And I was nine years old that trip. So I went then, and then I didn't go till I was 16, which I understand not everybody even gets that much. So I'm not planning. I'm just saying that's how it worked out. In the meantime, I remember the, like you guys, the Discovery specials. For me, specifically, it was the uh, Expedition Everest special. And I remember watching, and they were talking about the Yeti and how big it was and powerful how it had like you know the force of a jet engine and i remember then seeing him on that and he was very you know recognizable the, the earring certainly helps if he didn't have the earring he probably still would be as recognizable i love the way he talks he talks with his hands a lot which is what i do but he's just very into what he has to say which as a 15 14 15 year old just who had only gone to Disney once at that time, really appreciated that because it really explained what was going on that attraction, but not giving away, not giving away all the secrets, if you will. And, uh, that was, that was it. And I was like, wow, what a really cool idea. What a really cool park. And what a really cool person that is into their work that they are, you know, they're getting, they're on TV about it, which like, you know, how many, that doesn't really happen. I mean, it kind of does, but it's not, you know, teachers don't go on TV talk about what they teach. And, like, for me and my job now, I don't, you know, nobody wants to listen to what I do. So how cool is it that he got that opportunity to really engage the audience into, you know, what he was working on?
1: I think part of the thing that, like, draws people in is, you know, his this innate storytelling ability, which probably made him a really amazing teacher just because he's so... Well, versed in communication. He knows how to get information to a great amount of people in a short and simple way. Sometimes he can do it like really, really heady and, you know, <laughs> a lot of $5 words, and you're like, whoa, I need to sit with this for a second. But other times it's very straight and to the point. And I think that speaks to a lot of people where they don't feel like they're being talked down to, they feel like they're be- being brought along for the journey.
0: And that, that's funny because that's one of the things that I read in an interview with uh, Joe Rody from a, four or five years ago. It was just before Pandora opened, and he was mentioning that at one point he had been partnered with a, a really good designer, but he was a he was not a good speaker. He was a great mentor, a great designer, but a poor speaker. And one of the reasons that he Joe felt that he had risen so quickly was because he quickly became the speaker whenever they were talking about the project that they were working on. And when you're the speaker, they start to ask you questions. And when they ask you questions, you have to have the answers. So you become more the subject matter expert. And, you know, his his ability to communicate contributed to his success.
1: I Yeah, uh, you earlier you called him the face of Imagineering. And I say that he put the earring in Imagineering.
0: <laughs> nice.
1: <laughs>
3: That was good. Uh, Yeah, I think in a corporate world, Disney is a corporation and uh, they got a lot of suits. cool to see somebody walking around in, you know, cargo pants and boots and that earring and really just get into the details about, you know, why they did what they did, why it looks like this, but make it easy so that, you know, the regular person can understand. And uh, because I know... At the time, I knew nothing about themed entertainment. Now I know a little bit from doing the show so so long and reading about things. And, and he really, you know, is he's not really an inspiration for me to get in that because I don't do that kind of work, but it's inspired me to at least want to learn more about how how Disney does what they do and why they do it.
0: Yeah, And, you know, I, I think one of the other things I learned from him is that with the projects he's worked on, when you see what he did at Aulani, which uh I, you know, I know we stopped at Animal Kingdom, uh, but eventually he gets to work on Aulani and uh, through his work with the Animal Kingdom and Expedition Everest, he's very much into culture and he wants the cultures to be represented uh in a... In a professional way and, and in a way that it's going to teach people about cultures, you know, it, it's not just a – it's not fake. I mean, I, I know it's fake because it's Disney and you're really not in Tibet, but he wants it to be a, a, as accurate a representation of Tibet as it can be. And and I think I really respect the fact that, that culture plays a big part. And as I was reading up about Alani, you know, the, the amount of Hawaiian culture that came into the design – of a resort. I mean, this is a hotel. You know, for most companies, it's it's a concrete structure. You know, with a restaurant and a gift shop. But there was so much more uh, of of the culture infused into the buildings, the way things were built, the the location of certain buildings. So I I think I really respect the fact that he is imaginative, yet also respectful of the cultures that he is. Uh, drawing inspiration from for these attractions and resorts. So I, I thought that was a, a very cool aspect of, of his career.
2: You mentioned Aulani, and um, we went there in 2017. And it, it was fascinating. We stayed at another resort, like two coves over, and then we transferred over there. And it, it was an amazing experience. They did such an amazing job with that that you did not even wanna to go to the beach. And it almost blew my mind, like I've, gone all, I've traveled all this way to go to the beach in Hawaii, but this resort is just, every time you turn the corner, there was something new, there was something different. It was so Im- an immersive experience within a resort that you did not feel the urge to get out to the ocean. And I remember thinking, this is weird, you know, because why do you go to Hawaii to enjoy the beach? But that resort was absolutely just mind-blowing. And we spent four nights there. And I I was fortunate enough, I got to do a tour and, um, you know, learn about different things that were significant and et cetera. I often tell clients, I'm like, when you go here, be prepared because some people aren't going to want to leave the resort. You know, you're going to be just sucked in. So, if you're wanting to do other things, think about that when you plan your trip because that, I don't know. I don't know. It's like a, I, I can't put words to it. It was just, it, it's an amazing place to stay. But it would be amazing if you cut it out and put it anywhere else. It's not because the beach is amazing, it's because of the details. If that makes sense.
1: I love the fact that they have Olelo, the Hawaiian language, like throughout the the place. Um, and that everybody speaks Hawaiian. It's not just, it's not just lip service. And I think that's due in large part to Joe's, I, I don't want to say demand, but you can imagine what those conversations could have been like. <laughs> like, do they oh. all have to speak Hawaiian? They all have to speak Hawaiian. <laughs>
2: Well, and just like, you know, you take your child to the kids club. It, you're not taking your child to the kids club. You're taking your child to um, help me aunties. Oh, what's it called?
1: Oh, is it auntie's beach house?
2: Yes. Auntie's beach house. I mean like it's, themed it's just not you're going to the kids club you're going to andy's beach house and then uncle comes and shares a story each night you know and there's there is a yes with the language and everything it's like this whole familial experience i don't i don't know but um everything is themed and i don't know if theme's the right word but
1: well and i think with the theming um it's authentic so it it doesn't feel like theming it feels like you're in a a real true place and even though it is themed and it is you know this fictitious place that has been created with so much heavy influence from the indigenous people of hawaii it doesn't feel as though it's this you know fake place
0: everything seems to be very organic and very subtle you know you you can build a resort uh a hawaiian resort and just make everything in your face Hawaii, you know, or you can you can make, uh, you know, a, a theme park with animals and everything is just in your face. But it's not. Everything is subtle, you know, and and subtle yet detailed and, and very natural feeling. You know, you look at the pictures of Alani. I, uh, of course, I'm not lucky enough to have been there like like Rachel. But you look at the pictures and even though it's a you know, it's a multi story, you know, 14, 15 story building. It does not look out of place. You know, it it looks like a Hawaiian structure, Uh, you know, much like the Animal Kingdom Lodge looks like a a lodge from Africa. You know, the, the resort looks like it just it fits right there in the cove. You know, sure, they could have put up, you know, four concrete walls with glass windows and slapped the Disney name on it and people would have gone. But it wouldn't have had that feel. And, and you know, you get that feeling in the pictures. You get that feeling, like Rachel says, you know, when you're there. So that's, I, I think that's the amazing thing of of his, some of his works.
2: And I don't know if y'all realize this, but there's such a contrast. Because in that one cove, there are two hotels. And it's Olani. And then it's the Four Seasons. And the Four Seasons, it's the structure that lacks character. that lacks, it, it does not blend in. With the environment, it kind of stands out. Now, the Four Seasons didn't design it. To my knowledge, it was a Marriott at one point, is what I heard. But they are right next to each other. And it's such a huge contrast, you know, and it's funny because it's almost like these people are paying this high dollar at the Four Seasons. You'll meet them in the cove or whatever, in the water, and they'll just be so drawn to what's happening at (laughs) Alani.
0: After he did his work on the Animal Kingdom, his next project was indeed to be the lead designer on Aulani, a Disney uh, resort and spa, which is a DVC property in the Ko, in Koalina, Hawaii. Um, and then after that, uh, he went back to work on Pandora in the Animal Kingdom. And uh, in 2017, he was the uh, global creative leader on Marvel, Guardians of the Galaxy Mission Breakout. And uh, the last project that I know he was a part of was the second uh, island, uh, I'll say island, even though it's a, the tip of a larger island, uh, for the Disney Cruise Line on, uh, on the island of Eleuthera in the Bahamas. Uh, so I, I think he kind of left that. I don't want to say in a lurch, um, but I know that that, that is not completed. Uh, so maybe he'll be coming back in a consulting capacity. Uh, who, who knows what the future will hold for for uh, Joe Rody and Disney.
3: I did hear him in an interview. It was on and I suggest to listen to this. Uh, the D23 Inside Disney podcast is the official D20 podcast episode 69. It was on January 7th of uh, this year it was released. There, there's a bunch of stuff he talks about, but he said that his projects are usually a seven-year cycle, and the projects I'm working on now are left in good conditions. So he's saying that he left something active and it's in good condition. I my guess would be that the the Eleuther Island project.
0: I I hope Zach Ridley is up to the task.
3: Well, then he'll make it uh, Star Wars something something, right?
1: <laughs> <laughs> I think. Do you think uh, they're gonna hold Zach down and pierce his ear? I'm just asking. I just one, need to know.
0: One can only hope. <laughs> you know, the way the kids are these days, he'll probably go with one of those bowl ring. Uh,
1: oh yeah.
0: piercings in the middle of his nose, and it won't oh, be gosh. his ear. His
1: septum pierced. No, Zach,
2: so, no, don't do it. Do you all think, because the, there was another guy who's been there forever that's retiring, do you think they're kind of trying, because of the financial situations too, maybe Disney's saying, hey, you know, there's a retirement package out there. You know, like when people who are getting paid a whole, whole lot of money and been there forever. Do you think there's anything to that?
3: You're probably referring to Kevin Rafferty, who also recently announced his retirement. But yeah, I, I believe I have his book. I have yet to read it because I'm lazy. But I believe he was hinting that he would be retiring. I I think he was more of the one that did. I do have a theory that I think they asked Joe to sort of you know take a retirement because maybe they didn't want to pay him so much anymore and at the same time joe's been working for 40 years and he's 65 years old that's retirement age according to the social security department you know i I know we all know he loved to travel we all know he loved to see everything so maybe you know maybe he was like yeah i'll just do my own traveling i don't know
0: well, you know, I, I think that's a big hit for Imagineering because, you know, Joe Rody did have 40 years in with the company, but Kevin Rafferty, who, who's not as well known, had 42 years in with Imagineering. So between those two guys, if I do the quick math, carry the one, that's uh, that's 82 years uh, of, of experience. And, uh, you know, we'll be doing our Kevin Rafferty appreciation show at a future date. Actually, we won't because no one really knows Kevin Rafferty uh, unless you're a hardcore Imagineering Whoa, I'm,
1: fan. I I'm, love I'm like, rafferty he's well, done see, some it, amazing things he um, hasn't
0: and his last project was uh, mickey and minnie's mickey runaway Minnie. railway mm-hmm. yeah uh, but um
1: I, I know what you're saying though he's not he's not on as many shows as joe has been on um we he, we're gonna have to do a kevin show i gotta read the book first so
3: <laughs> maybe like three years from now i'll get around to it we've kind of glanced over the projects that joe's worked on and there are some that we've kind of missed but wanted to ask everybody what their favorite project is of his. And uh, Rachel, you want to start?
2: Ooh, okay. So if I had to narrow it down to one, well, Animal Kingdom Park is my favorite theme park. But overall, if I had to be specific about something, I think I'm going to have to go with Animal Kingdom Lodge. And while I love the theme park, Animal Kingdom Lodge just is probably my favorite place on Disney property ultimately. I mean, I love the theme parks, but to me, there's something magical and magnificent about that resort, I guess. And maybe that's why that's the first DVC property I bought. Um, and I'm proud to say that is my home resort. You know, again, he went into such, they went into such detail that they have offered tours just to, of the art and, Every every time you turn a corner, there's something. There's either an animal or there's a shield that has some sort of meaning, a piece of artwork. I just, sorry, I I, I even talking about it, I'm kind of getting teary-eyed. That is my favorite place on all of Disney property, if you had to make me narrow it down. And I, I'm thankful for that place and for that escape from the world I live in.
3: Yeah, it is great. I'm going to cut ahead of time because um, I have things to say. Mine is Animal Kingdom Park. Now, I know that's the easy that's the easy way to go because it's a big one. But I haven't been to Alani. And some of the older stuff isn't as, I don't know. I'm not, like, Adventures Club, I wasn't around for that. And, uh, and Guardians of the Galaxy, I, he did a good job on it. I just, I don't know if I would have done that. But then again, I'm not. An imagineer, so what do I know? But anyway, I was reading the making of Disney's Animal Kingdom theme park, written by Melody Malberg, who, if you don't know who she is, she is Joe Rody's wife. So she was given the task of writing the official introduction book for making of Animal Kingdom. I would highly suggest you buy this book. I got it for like nine dollars on Amazon, pre-owned, and uh, it's great. It's got a ton of pictures and everything. There was a couple things I wanted to read from this book that. that are i think important to what we're talking about so uh, in the beginning uh, it says here this is joe talking about animal kingdom it is for you you who come to this place to experience the adventure the excitement the challenge and the joy of the world of animals and it is for them the animals themselves it is my hope and i believe all of ours that we have created a place that will awaken our hearts to the beauty and wonder of the creatures that surround us and renew our dedication to conserving places on Earth where they may survive until a wiser time when we have learned the lessons of the Earth and can share in harmony with our partners on this small planet, the animals. From reading this book and what they've said, basically Animal Kingdom was supposed to be about human love of animals. In doing the Disney conservation that they attach with Animal Kingdom and how they are very particular about how they insert new animals into the park it's and i know the um the the tagline for animal kenny was not to zoo and it's more than it's more than your zoo that you can go to at home it's they really really care about the animals and how they are taken care of at the park it's unbelievable and i think honestly one of my favorite parts in the park is the Rafiki's Planet Watch conservation station, mostly because it's a it kind of like, you know, bridges or, or breaks the fourth wall of being in a theme park versus being in a working sort of veterinarians, not studio, but a vet, veterinarian's office. I don't know. Guests can see the animals getting taken care of there. And I think that is something that no other place really offers. To the point where a kid can, you know, one day think about becoming a veterinarian or a doctor or, you know, whatever they want to do, like to, to help care for animals, or care for our planet. And I think that's something that Disney didn't have to do, but they did it. And I think they've done a good job. And I think it's a uh, if, if there is one kid that wants to become a veterinarian or a doctor from being there, I think they've you know, accomplish your goal. And I'm sure there's just more than one. So Tony, what about your favorite project?
0: My favorite Joe Rudy project is uh, the Adventurers Club, which existed on Pleasure Island, which was part of uh, downtown Disney in the late 80s uh, through the 90s. You know, if if you ne- had never been, it was uh, a comedy show set around 1937 with a bunch of adventurers. And it was a lot of improv, and some songs and audience participation. And it was just it was a hoot. Uh, I only had the opportunity to go like four times, but uh, very memorable experiences. Uh, a lot of the a lot of the cast, uh, because they're comedians, actors, improv artists, actually worked with other groups after the Adventurous Club closed, like the Citizens of Hollywood uh, and the uh, comedy troupe in the United Kingdom. And you know it was it was just a good time. It was uh, it was outside of the theme parks, but uh, you know it was it was an experience unto itself that that I really enjoyed and was really saddened to see the club close. Um, but the adventurers do show up on occasion for special events uh, every couple of years. So one of these days I, I hope to catch them. But I think the cool thing about it is that this uh, event was based in part, After a party that Joe Rody actually held, there was a regular get together of Imagineering and Disney employees where they would reenact like British colonialism, the end of the colonial era, and they incorporated that with some other shows that they had seen in California and eventually turned it into the Adventurers Club, which which was a fun time. And it was part, it was a Disney experience on Pleasure Island uh, that. You know, you didn't really get anywhere else. And then when they shut down Pleasure Island, um, you know, it it just became a bunch of stores and restaurants at that point. You know, for me, uh, what made downtown Disney unique was the fact that there was entertainment, that there was comedy, that there were dance clubs. Uh, And then they took that aspect away and it kind of all changed. So that's uh, that was my favorite project of his.
1: My favorite project. I'm I'm just going to jump in Uh, because I think I figured it out. When you hear Joe talk about animal kingdom, you'll hear him repeat this over and over. The animal kingdom is about the intrinsic value of nature. And he says it over and over and over again. And not like in a demeaning, like where he's preaching to you sort of way. It's just, that's what it is. And when you go and experience animal kingdom, you are experiencing it as a visitor, as a guest to this make-believe place, but the focus is on the animals and how humans interact with nature. It doesn't pander to small children. It doesn't, you know, it, it, it doesn't leave you out in the cold thinking that you're just a, a viewer to this the zoo, um, even though they are an accredited in animal research. But the the fact that he... Could get this this idea and his team behind the idea that nature is the theme. That's amazing. That to me will forever be the coolest thing that he. It, it doesn't necessarily need to be IP, although the IP he's touched on has been amazing. It's regardless of what he's doing or where he is lending his talents, his storytelling talents or his artistic um, abilities. He's constantly asking his team to think of the story the concept and that maybe that seems a bit heady but for me that's legitimately the coolest takeaway that anybody could have in their career that they could get an entire company behind producing an idea and then to get think of the consumers the guests of the Disney company that have just bought in it's amazing to me And that's my that's my fave.
3: Kelly, I want to piggyback on what you said, because I read this in that book. I'm going to just read this. The advisors, advisors being advisors from zoo and like animal advisors. Advisors saw Disney's involvement in zoos and conservation as extremely positive. Uh, What can Disney do for conservation? Disney can make it a household word. The public needs their emotional strings tugged but also needs to understand the details of the conservation story. If they don't care, it will all go away. Disney can make the emotional connection, the first step to intellectual commitment. After that comes action. A world without tigers and elephants? I wouldn't want to be there. And Disney has the power to inspire change. So Disney could have not pushed this conservation idea I don't want to call it an idea but I, that's all I can think of right now. Did it push this conservation idea? They didn't they they could have just thrown their own, you know, IP animals into a theme park and call Animal Kingdom. But instead they wanted to, you know, make it about conservation and the fact that they a big company like Disney decided to do this, now it's become like this, this thing I just read. It's a household word. Like we all know what it is and we all believe it's, you know, it's a good thing. And that's why we continue to go, and that's why we can you know continue to support and and I just think it's like and that's part of Joe and the team of uh, mm-hmm. pushing that and making sure that was priority number one for when they build this you know theme park that's you know supposed to make money, and I understand that, but it also you know helps the people that are there to understand what we're supposed to do and supposed to happen.
1: Tony and Rachel, y'all probably remember the, the original Kilimanjaro Safari where Wilson says like what we see with our eyes, we know with our hearts. That's actually a really, that's a Jim Henson quote. And the fact that, that the Walt Disney company in, in whatever aspect they set out to do this, whether they meant for this to happen or not, I'd like to think that they did, but who knows? Like they could have just been this, this was like a happy accident, but for, Everybody that goes into Animal Kingdom to be on board with the conservation message, to me, I think that's one of the most beautiful things that that anybody can walk away from a theme park experience. Like other theme parks, you're like, oh, that was really cool. I got to ride X number of roller coasters. Um, and that's wonderful. But to go into a park like Animal Kingdom... And just have it's it's almost like your takeaway is a call to action. That that's your that's your souvenir. Kelly, will Actually, you say
2: that quote again? Because 'Cause I'd I, never heard that, I don't think. Yeah, I
3: wanna I wanna get that on a on a piece of wood or something or print it out.
1: Oh, the Jim Henson one, what we see with our eyes, we know with our hearts.
2: Wow. I sorry, I mean that kind of brought tears to my eyes again. Um, you know, my son loves rhinos. And I did not realize how in danger, ex- uh, you know, how severe their extinction was until riding the safari. And when they spoke about that and um, i sorry, I get teary eyed because I just think Parker thought they were dinosaurs when he was little and he's just still mesmerized by them. And then you ride the safari and you hear how I, what is it? The black rhino. There's no longer any in the wild. Is that right? Or is it the white?
1: Uh, I think it's the black Right
2: now. I think now it's I the have black, to look. Yeah, I think it's the black rhino. And I think about that. And you see this magnificent, beautiful creature. And I think, you know, I, w- I don't know if I would have ever known that if I hadn't been to Animal Kingdom. And if I hadn't been in that safari truck. And um, you just think of how many beautiful things in this world we could, we miss out on. And, you know, what we do does affect things. And... You know, Parker will say, you know, there we've learned so much about conservation from visiting Disney and we do try to bring it back and my son will point it out to me more than I, you know, consciously am aware. Sorry, you made me cry by saying that and just that uh, I thought about the rhino and um
1: That's a that's exactly right though, because had had the safari not existed, think about the countless people that go on that safari that would have never had that experience to be up close and personal with any of those animals and now all of them for for some small part like some people maybe not so much but other people are really impacted by it it's an amazing side effect of joe Rody's ability to draw people in to whatever he's he's doing i can't wait to see what he's doing next i just i'm throwing that out there i have no idea what it is you know well, hopefully
3: hopefully it's fixing the yeti
1: it won't be because he's not.
3: Sorry, that's, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> that's,
1: yeah, that's the the safety people. That's not. That's W-G-I. Zach Ridley. That's Zach it's, Ridley's job. <laughs> it's not. Though.
0: But on it's, on the on the good side, they did file a patent for a vibration suppression system. which may play into uh, resolving the yeti issue
3: listen i know i know that's the punchline. that's that's like you know fix the yeti but when you're me and a 15 year old watching that discovery channel video and you see that yeti and then the first time i got to ride it i it wasn't working and it hasn't since it was a little it disappointing whatever it it is what it is i don't really i'm not gonna you know harp on it it too much but uh uh yeah i think uh, the amount of emo like i i've said this before like disney is more than a theme park it's an emotional like experience that's why we spend all- so much money and go there all the time we keep going back because it's 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 gone past the the idea of well this is just vacation it's more of an emotional connection to something it could be the past it could be family friends characters whatever and that's what Animal Kingdom has now given all us an emotional connection to these animals and to nature. And they've done a very good job of doing it in the way that they show their habitats and the way that they, you know, they, they tell the story of going through each section and, and seeing everything. And they it's amazing. It, it's amazing that they took this, you know, physical thing and made it an emotional connection for me, for you guys, for everybody. I'm sure if you're listening to the show, you have some emotional connection to Animal Kingdom, to Alani, to something that Joe Rody worked on, which I think is, um, I think that's pretty special.
1: I just, I want to throw this out here. When I was teaching, um, and it feels like forever ago, but it was really only like four years ago, I would force my kids to sit through different YouTube videos featuring we called him like Professor Joe because he he posts a lot of cool stuff on his Instagram that's very helpful as an art history teacher. Um, you'll know that he posts these art history songs where he rewrites lyrics to like famous songs. It's hysterical. Um, that being said, we did a search on YouTube for Joe Rody and what came up was a video of him talking about Village Nature, which is the Disneyland Paris, it's kind of like a Resort, vacation villa type. It's really cool. But if you look up Joe Rody village nature spells villages nature. He speaks French and we were not prepared for that. None of us. So I'm just throwing that out there. If anybody wants to be like blown away by Joe Rohde speaking French, talking about village nature, go ahead and do a quick YouTube is search there, for because it's nice. Is there subtitles? Uh, yeah, but he does one in English. So if you watch the one in English first and then watch the French one, um, he says the exact same thing. Just one's in English and one's in French.
3: I believe it's not Disney owned, but it I think it's like a partner resort with Disney because it's on the Disneyland Paris website as like an option to say it. Well um, and that's
1: weird because Disney bought Disneyland Paris back. Yeah, I mean maybe they do
3: own it. I I honestly don't I, I, I can't mean, I mean half of it's in French, so I can't understand yeah. it. But I do know I do know that. Chris stayed there recently on her when she went to Paris. I think like two years ago, and uh, she stayed there. And when she stayed there, I did not know that Joe Rody designed that. And then afterwards, reading it, I found out that he did. And it's like got uh, condominium, like villa, like cottage type things, and it is very eco friendly. It's I would love to see it. I don't know if I'd want to stay there because I want to stay at Disney hotels <laughs> because I have that emotional connection to Disney. But I would like to at least go through there and see that because it, does, it, it you got to look at I'll look it up because it is a bizarre looking hotel. It, it's not even really a hotel, but it's really interesting.
0: Um, they they are owned by Center Parks Europe, which is a European network of holiday villages founded in the Netherlands and currently operated by Pierre and Vassances and owned by the Blackstone Group.
3: Ooh, Blackstone. Wow. Okay, that leads me to what I wanted to get to next, was something that we were surprised to learn that he worked on, whether it be that Villages Nature Resort in Paris or something else. Because there's a lot of stuff that I... The, we didn't realize he was even working on, so, or, or had worked on, I should say. So, Rachel, did you want to start?
2: Sure. Mexico has always been one of my favorite pavilions at Epcot, and I did not know Adam until you had me listen to that podcast, um, the D23 one, that he was involved with that. And I was like, well, no wonder I love it. But um, I've always been a huge fan of the Mex- Mexico pavilion, and um, now I am even a little bit more.
1: <laughs> um, I think my favorite thing uh, that he worked on was the imagination pavilion. I love the visual of that building, just the architecture of it. It's always been kind of stunning that like, if you, if you look at kind of the landscape of Epcot as a whole, that next to the land, the land looks like uh, almost like a volcano of sorts or, or I don't even know what else to call it. Maybe like a, some sort of tent where, the la- or the imagination pavilion looks like it looks like mountains to me. And when I was little, because I was at Epcot on opening day, when I was really little, I just remember going and just having this like sense of wonder and just amazing uh anything was possible. And to know that he kind of played Dreamfinder in that, to me, I and I know it wasn't for everything. It was like a it was like a special video. It's very fitting, don't you? Like, to me, that's one of the most fitting roles that Girardi could have is, like, Dream Finder. I think it's it's cool.
3: I knew about that, but I had just watched it before we started recording, because I wanted to, you know, throw as much Girardi in my brain as possible. And uh, for somebody that is not an actor, he does a really good job of acting. And uh, he says on that D23 podcast that uh, oftentimes... Imagineering would just ask people to fill in as like voice, voice roles just to like get a, um, like just to get a bot, I mean, a body or a voice so that they could, you know, kind of test things so that they're not bringing in real voice actors until they really need them. And it, from what I understand, they liked his doing it so much that then they filmed that role for him and, and that was in Imagination Pavilion for a while, his version of it. Tony, did you have
0: something? you know, I was completely surprised to see that he had worked on Captain EO. I despise Captain EO. Uh, I never, I, I still to this day have not seen it. Uh, I've seen pictures from it.
3: Well, how uh, did you despise it if you haven't seen it?
0: Uh, the melding of Michael Jackson and George <laughs> Lucas does not sit well with me. And Francis um,
3: Ford Coppola? Yeah,
0: it, it, yeah, I, I, I just, I don't like it
3: the music i tell you the song is very catchy
0: and and i i look at the the characters and stuff and i don't see any joe rody in there uh so i was i was surprised to see that he had worked on it i'd like to know specifically what
1: he did
3: you need to you need to get on twitter and follow him, because he did say what character he designed and the character does look a little bit like him
0: now see now i'm now i'm going to have to check that out <laughs>
3: He said he designed Major Domo. So, Tony, if you look up Major Domo, Captain EO.
2: Major Domo?
3: Yeah. He was like the Tin Man-looking character. Robotic security officer. Um, you can see a little bit of Joe's face in that.
1: He's, in his face. Uh, it's it's the beard jaw thing. Yeah. It's so funny. Yeah, I don't. I'm just, I'm not a fan.
2: Is it because of Michael Jackson?
0: no it's it's the whole i don't like the camp campy aspect of it i i guess i just don't like intergalactic michael
3: but like disney like
1: how all my, disney shows are always campy Country but this, this one is like extra and i was a child of the 80s this was like prime kelly era and um even then we were like we would laugh at how ridiculous it was
0: Michael I, would, I, like would, I would I would I would sit through the Star Wars Holiday Special
1: twice <laughs> before
0: I sat through Captain EO. Oh,
1: man. The
2: Lego one or the
3: original? No,
0: the the original.
3: My favorite was that I didn't know this until I heard it was that he worked on original drawings for the facade for the Studio Pavilion at Epcot, and that was when Disney Imagineers were gonna maybe do a Hollywood Studio type pavilion at Epcot. And the facade was going to be like a blue sky screen with like a theater marquee, kind of like how it looks at DCA where the Hyperion Theater is for the Frozen show. So anyway, he worked on that, and then they decided to make that into its own theme park. So he, so his, you know, part of his idea got eventually turned into well, let's just make this um, a whole a whole park. And the other thing that I found out was that he is the voice of. Alexander Graham Bell at the American Adventure in Epcot, so you could still hear him if you go and see that show.
1: I'm like 98% convinced that whoever modeled the audio animatronic sculpture in the Renaissance scene in Spaceship Earth uh, used Joe as a as reference because I could totally see his face. I know it wasn't, but I, I'm convinced. <laughs> I'm convinced that it was.
3: Well, I guess it depends on if that's like not original, if that is, because it wouldn't, it couldn't be him if it was original, because that would have been after he. Well, I, well, I guess, I guess it could have. I, I guess it's possible, based upon just the timing of it.
0: Many, many people don't know that I was the model for the guy banging out the papyrus in <laughs> Spaceship Earth. <laughs> this
3: Egyptian pounding reeds flat. I did wanted to bring up a couple, like a couple, like fun facts before. And I think everybody, if you have something that you wanted to say, but in this Animal Kingdom book, uh, I found out that they used pest management techniques that they used at the land pavilion for Animal Kingdom because they have African animals and they have Florida bugs and they have African and Florida plants and some of them can't mix together. So they figured out from the land, stuff they learned at the land and how to deal with pest management, which I thought was really cool because... You know the land. Everybody, not everybody, a lot of people think is boring, and it was actually really useful for use at the uh, Animal Kingdom. Something else I found out was in for costuming. Costumes for cast members that run shops and sell merchants are brighter than those who help attractions, and that's so that the guests can, can easily find the cast member that is is selling them something, whether it be a, you know in a shop or. Or something. And one more thing that I am very happy to find out, and uh, you guys are going to laugh at me, but the, the lead chef at the Animal Kingdom at opening was a man named Frank Abenati, and he was a native of Palermo, Sicily. So I think it confirms that, canonically speaking, Animal Kingdom food is Italian because it was created by a native Italian man. How about that, Tony? One of our own was the lead chef at Animal Kingdom when it opened up.
0: That uh, that may be one of the biggest stretches ever, Adam.
3: I it's it's but it's true. You got the, the guy was Italian. He was the, the the head chef. He's the one that worked on all the food. Pizza Fari is real Italian pizza. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh God! Uh... If you
3: want to learn more about Joe Roddy, certainly pick up uh, that book that I was telling you about, the making of Disney's Animal Kingdom theme park. There is that D23 official podcast where they interviewed him. You can look on YouTube and find any time. He talked a lot professionally on YouTube. Yeah. He has his own YouTube channel that he he posts up to and you can see him on the Disney plus the Imagineering story. Of course he was big in a couple of the episodes and then on the animal kingdom behind the scenes show. And um, I don't know. I'm going to miss him, but like, Kelly said she can't wait to see what he's going to do next. So I think that means he's not retiring and just not going to work anymore. He's probably going to do something.
1: I can't imagine him retiring, like full on retiring. He would drive everyone nuts. I mean that in the most loving way possible. Can you imagine? I mean,
2: he just seems like somebody who's always got to be learning and creating. I couldn't imagine. So I've shared this on another show, but I, I, I have only met one Disney celebrity ever, and I'm thankful to say it was him. Parker and I were walking up to eat at Tusker House. It was in July, and there was a man in front of us in khaki pants and a, a kind of, um, oh, I can't remember the colored shirt, but it was, you know, it was a natural looking like it belonged in Animal Kingdom shirt. And he was just kind of walking by himself. And I thought, who would be walking around like that, looking around other than Joe Rody And so then I kind of glanced around to make sure to look at his ear to see if it was him. And I said, Mr. Rody And he turned around and I was just, I was speechless. And he was so super kind to us, um, signed my son's autograph book, took pictures with us and I remember him he asked us where we were going and told him we were going to Tusker house and at that time Tiffins hadn't been open very long. He was like, Well, I'm glad you're eating at Tusker but I have to tell you you need to go try Tiffins and was telling us what we should try to eat and everything. But he was super kind, Was did not rush us, took all the time in the world with us, and um, that's a moment I will cherish.
1: That is so beautiful. That's just a wonderful memory for y'all. A friend of mine,
3: Ryan, he listens to the show. He met Joe Brody at the counter for Go, and um, he said he had a, you know, they were eating dinner or something, and he had, like, this full-on conversation, and it was like, he didn't talk down to him. He didn't, he made it, he made it so that the words he would use, my friend Brian could understand. Like, so he didn't talk like, you know, zoolo- zoological or something, you know, which is, you know, is appreciative. I was supposed to meet him in April, last April, for Tiffin's talk, and that got canceled, unfortunately. So I hope he does something to the effect of people can pay or, or not or whatever, to go <laughs> see him and talk to him because I would be willing to do that because I you know it's it's like a real neat opportunity and um, he uh, he also just seemed like an extremely humble person. anything I've read about where he talks about you know being an imaginary, he would always say it was a team. it wasn't just him, it's everybody has to do it and work on all this stuff. He just happens to be the guy that was always on television. that's what people know. People know him, but there was plenty of other people that worked on all this stuff that we just don't know who they are because that's not how the job is.
1: I think my first time meeting him, um, get ready for the cringe, everyone, because this is one of the most embarrassing things I've ever done in my life. Uh, I was a cast member and I was working um, with Walt Disney World Research. where the survey taker people, right? And as I'm, like, asking people if they want to take a survey, I'm at the Yacht Club. And I see out of the corner of my eye, my, um, you know, coming up from my right, a guy who very strongly resembles Joe Rody. And when I looked and I saw that it was indeed Joe Rody, I like sucked all the air out of the hotel, like, <gasps> right. As loud as you could possibly be in the yacht club lobby, which is not like a loud boisterous place. <laughs> he was on a Blackberry and he looked up from his phone and looked at me and, and smiled very kindly because he could have been like, oh, God. Which he might have been thinking, but he didn't let that show on his face. and I'm like, I'm so sorry. Uh, I'm a huge fan. Please forgive me. And he was like, oh, no. And he asked me, like, you know, where he could get coffee. So I mumbled where he could get coffee. And then when he came back from his coffee and pastry, um, I asked him if he would mind taking a selfie with me with my flip phone just so you know that's how that's how fancy it was back in those days and um I'm like I'm so sorry I know it's a bad show would you mind and he said like well, what are they going to do fire me and I legitimately almost passed out the the housekeeping woman who took the photo for us had no idea why I was so excited to take a picture with this random man and I um I, I had no idea that not everyone was so obsessed with Joe Roddy as I was. And that's that's when I realized, like, oh, okay, um, other people aren't obsessed with this man has created such wonderful things as, like, an entire park. Well, that's how I was, Kelly,
2: because, I mean, we were taking these pictures and talking, and people were walking by and looking at him, and it was kind of like they were like, who is this person that she's, yeah. you know, freaking yeah. out over? Like, and I want to go... He created this place, you know, like, hello. The only
1: reason you're here is because of yeah. him. Yeah.
2: And I mean, we're, you know, we're right out outside a Tusker House. There was a party and everything. And everybody's kind of walking by like, why is she getting his autograph? You know, and I'm just like, and I love it because his autograph, he draws the earring when he signs oh his God. autograph. And I love it.
1: <laughs> it's the O.
2: <laughs> yes. How many items are on the earring? Does anybody it's- know?
1: It changes. He's got like a, a big bowl, like a soup bowl, full of baubles and and rings and stuff that he's collected every time he goes to a new place. Um, he gets a, a new thing.
0: Tri- yeah. Trivia question. Trivia question time. What was oh. the first earring?
3: Oh, I know. Was it a um it the first earring? Uh, uh Epcot, Mexico. It was it like a turquoise thing from Mexico?
0: It was not. No. Oh, wow. Rachel, would you like to uh, hazard a guess?
2: Oh, I have no idea.
0: All That's right. who? No, no. <laughs> it it was his five-year anniversary pin.
2: Really?
3: Wow. Yeah. He's like, boop. Was his ear already pierced?
1: I would well, hope so. <laughs> one would hope so, yes.
2: That's fascinating. Okay, so, like, back to this bowl of bobbles. So does he rotate them out, or does he just, when he adds a new one, he takes the oldest one, or how does that work?
1: I honestly, I've never asked. I What I would do if I were Joe Rodian trying to coordinate earrings is I would pick out, pick out like, the the lightest but the most visually interesting ones and use that because he, like, it's lots. His ear is so, like, you know, it's it's basically – he was gauging his ears before it was super cool here in the the U.S. to do so. That's if I were him. Now, I'm not him, so he might have a completely different rhyme and reason to do in whatever he does. I would hope that when he's at home that he could just, like, not even have an earring in because it, you know, it wasn't going to grow up. <laughs> well, I want to thank everybody for listening
3: and um, hearing us talk about probably all of ours favorite Imagineer, Joe roadie. Uh, we're going to miss him at the Disney Company, but he's still on Twitter, on Instagram. He's on YouTube. You can go find him. Last name is
0: R-O-H-D-E. And first name Joe. And
3: Tony, why don't you
0: take it away for us? Sure. I, I think in about uh, 35 years, so 2056, we're going to be doing the uh, Zach Ridley retrospective after he retires in 40 years. So we'll see everyone back then. Uh, but uh, until then I'd like to remind you that as always our podcast is sponsored by Main Street and More Travel and Authorized Disney Vacation Planner check out their website MainStreetAndMoreTravel.com request a quote and let Chris and her team help plan a magical vacation for your family you can find us on Facebook Twitter and Instagram just search on the Mouse and More Podcast and on behalf of Rachel Adam who's our number one fan of integrated pest management and our special guest, Kelly. This is Tony, and we are the Mouse and More Podcast. Good night, everyone.
3: Good night. Good night.